Welcome everybody to another episode of the Can Mayonnaise Kill Jedi Podcast. I am your co-host, Darth Salim. And I am your main host, the Artificial Dragon. And welcome back to another wonderful episode of a podcast, everybody. Um, <laughs> the 4th of July is literally around the corner. Well, okay, Father's Day is also like a couple days away, too. Of course, you gotta celebrate your dad before you celebrate the birth of the country. That is also very, very true. Um... Obviously, this episode will be uploaded way after Father's Day, but happy late Father's Day to all of your fathers out there and all the general fathers that have to uh, deal with your little pipsqueaks every day. Vader. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. Happy Father's Day to Vader and technically Luke with uh, (laughs) Kylo Ren with their sons uh, cutting their arms off and everything. It's just a traditional skywalker uh family tradition oh yes <laughs> you you can't be a skywalker unless you lob one of your arms off that's why ray isn't a skywalker <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah very true but anyway, but yeah anyway i'm just going to go through the patreon real quickly so yeah um if you guys love the podcast go ahead and support us on our patreon at patreon.com slash can mail once again, that's patreon.com slash canmail, where you could contribute to any amount, and for any tier that you donate to, you have instant access to our Discord server, where you could talk to us, uh, discuss general Star Wars lore, bring up episode topics, suggestions, or just talk about general memes here and, and there. get access to the fan art that we have. Yep, and of... As we said in the previous fan service art pieces, which, as we all know for this month, is uh, Duchess Satine of Mandalore and uh, General Kenobi showing his nice assets under there. (laughs) (laughs) Also, support my blog. Support uh, Darth Selene's blog, yeah. Um, which is generic as hell. (laughs) I know, I have yet to come up with a name. I will come up with a name, but please support it. Send me asks. It, it always helps. Yeah, which is always a nice thing to do. Um, but yeah, um, just... No, enough with the plugging. Yeah, enough of the plugging. Just make sure to uh, support our content. We always appreciate the support that you give us, whether it's monetary or a comment, a like, you know, that sort of thing. Um, I'm not going to do the, the YouTube <laughs> thing every single time. We're not because selling I'll, out this time. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll sell out when we can get ourselves a sponsor in the near future, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, we always appreciate your support, and I hope you enjoy this lovely, short episode that we have going on here. Tell me, Isaac, what are we talking about today? We are talking about a, I wouldn't say a highly important race of Star Wars, like, obviously humans are the important ones around here, but... Supposedly. <laughs> but... Yeah, um, they are a very common race in the Star Wars galaxy. I think, yeah, I think almost every movie has these guys in them. I think you would have to look, but... I'm not too sure about the sequel trilogy because, eh, whatever, but... Um, yeah, pretty much every single source of Star Wars media has them in there. And in this case, we will be talking about the Biff. B-I-T-H. Yeah, B-I-T-H. <laughs> every, it's kind of funny because every time I always write them in my document, it always autocorrects to birth. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it would correct it to bitch. <laughs> um, it's, it's no swear words, autocorrect no swear words. 
<laughs> but yeah, um, like the Biff, they're not uh, as 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 I mentioned before, they're not that important of a race, but they're significant enough to be in almost every single part of Star Wars media. Mm-hmm. Like anytime you go into a cantina, they're a background race. Yeah, they're a background race. Like every time you go to a cantina, a restaurant, or Anywhere you where you socialize, you're going to see a Biff in the background, either as a uh, crowd filler character or just playing the band and everything. Yeah, a jizz whaler. Yeah, <laughs> a jizz whaler. Yeah, we got to do an episode about uh, about uh, Star Wars instruments. Yes, <laughs> a jizz whaler is actually a background you can you can take in uh, Star Wars Five E. Yeah, exactly. It's That's so- funny. <laughs> I still need to figure out which episode. Uh, that was when we did a D&D session and Jake was all like, what? <laughs> Insert clip here when you find it. <laughs> when I find it, yeah, my motherfucker. Um, it was so fucking funny. Now I need to figure out how to make a jizz whaler. <laughs> that would be kind of funny. It would be like a, uh, have you ever watched the mariachi movies? I know, but I do, I understand like mariachi bands and stuff. Okay, so I think it's the very first... I'm sorry to go off topic, but I gotta say this. It's Um, fun. It's one of the first movies directed by, I believe, Quentin Tarantino with a very limited budget. But point is, uh, there's this Mariachi who wants to make a name for himself, but um, his briefcase got swapped out with an infamous criminal who also has a Mariachi case, but it's full of guns. Wasn't this with Antonio Banderas? I believe so, yeah. I think I've seen it. Or at least the beginning part. I think that would be a great starting inspiration point for a jizz player. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Now you got to make an NPC. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) The the jizz whaler Biff, (laughs) (laughs) who's also an undercover assassin. Okay, that's a good idea for a bounty hunter character, Write that down, write that down! (laughs) Write it down! (laughs) But yeah, back to the uh, actual meat of the episode. So yeah, we will be talking about the Biff. As you see, they are like a big-headed alien race. Like, I think they're like one of the few background races that look the least human. They're they're pretty freaky. Yeah, like, if you look at other races like the Togruta, the Twi'lek, or... What's another good example? I guess the uh, Mariluka... Um, and all those other races, they look somewhat human. Maybe some different variations, like with a Togruta and a Twi'lek with the head tails, but these guys do not at all look human. Yeah, they they have big black soulless eyes. <laughs> yeah, um, they look very similar to your classical gray aliens that oh, you yeah. see in classic sci-fi back in the day. Um, so yeah, let me get into the Biff. They are a highly evolved craniopod race native to the planet of Clackdor 7, also simply called Biff. Yeah, I know, the classic trope of naming their homeworlds after their own race. Mandalor did it. <laughs> you know, that is a fair point. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, Clactor 7 was found within the Kello system of the Outer Rim, being the seventh planet orbiting the large white star called Kello. And it possessed no moons. Hmm. And Clactor 7 is 9,881 kilometers across, very smaller to Earth's 12,756 kilometers. Um, 
It has a 26-hour day and night cycle, so slightly longer than Earth's. A little bit longer. Yeah. It has an orbital period of 647 days. Mm-hmm. So that's way longer. I think that's like twice as long as Earth's orbital period, which is like 300 and... 365. Yeah, thank you. Um, and it has a type-free atmosphere. Basically, there's a chart, like there's type 1, there's type 2 atmospheres. Type 3 is basically toxic to... You know, air-breathing species where they require gas mask and Mm -hmm. everything. Um, Like Plocoon. Yeah. Um, And the planet has a population of 3.4 billion, with 99% of that being Biff and the 1% being, you know, any other race. Uh Uh-huh. And Clactor 7 has jungles and swamps upon its surface, inhabited by many fauna that inspire the Biff's fascination with music. Oh, that's cool. Like, I believe there's like a... uh, a uh, turtle out there that makes a uh, little droning sound that sounds like an alto bass. That sounds cool. It is pretty cool. Um, there are a lot of... <laughs> okay, um, there's not too much lore on the wildlife of Clactor 7, but uh, the one creature that actually has an appearance is called the Gunk. It's literally spelled G-H-H-H-K. Yeah. <laughs> I know, it's really weird. <laughs> But yeah, let me sh- let me just send you a uh, image of his weird thing. It's really, really bizarre. Ew! <laughs> that looks like a ball of snot. Yeah. Um. With that, eyes. That right there is basically the apex predator of that planet. Ew. And it's rep. It's so famous. It's represented as a uh, chess piece on Dejaric. Really? Yep. That thing doesn't look like it could hurt a fly. <laughs> but no, it's the... Uh, it just looks like a moving lump of snot with four <laughs> arms. No, that's legitimately the apex predator of their world and everything. Um, you would also not think that because the Biff actually use a gek. Um, they basically extract uh, a milk oil off of it. Ew. Which could be used for, uh, you know, healing and everything. Ew. <laughs> Yeah, I know. A lot of weird, bizarre things on Clactor 7. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, let me see. If, uh, okay. The Biv grew to become, obviously, the dominant race on their entire planet. Like mm-hmm. us, uh, humans, you know, dominating everything to our will and everything. Um, and basically making the uh, apex predators of a the world their bitch and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, the Biv would... Gr- Create great cities within the mountains and jungles of Clackdoor 7. And each one of these cities, basically, they are your classical feudal society, city-states, like uh, the Greeks and everything. Okay. So, um... But like ancient China. Yeah. Yeah, that's a better comparison, I believe. Okay. Um, so the Biff are characterized by their large cranium heads, obviously. Um, large... They kind of look like butts. Yeah. <laughs> the ass, man. Um... <laughs> Large lidless eyes, toeless feet, and long fingers with large finger pads at the end and across hatched fingerprints. That's interesting. Yeah. Both of their thumb and small finger, which is I, it says small finger, but I believe like they meant the pinky and everything. Okay. Both of these uh, are opposable. Well, duh. Yeah. Um, we have those two. <laughs> um, this is just a quirky detail, but I think the point is they're trying to point out like they're extra dexterous in their f- 
fingers and everything. Okay. Um, Biv possessed only one lung and exhaled through their skin like insects. They also lacked a proper nose, as you probably can yeah, tell, they- obviously. <laughs> um, Their be- mouths look pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Um, instead, though, they have highly sensitive olfactory organs hidden within the skin flaps of their cheeks. Um, they also have a surprising light, surprisingly wide variety of colors from green, pink, pale, red, and the most common being yellow. I think I've seen a few Bith on Sw- in Swator. Oh yeah, they're like over the place in Swator like, too. I think I've seen one on Balmora. Oh, yeah, yeah. That that's the one that popped into my head. I don't know where. I don't know when. Yeah, I don't know yeah. what story. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of uh, Bith in Swator. Surprisingly enough. Yeah. Um, Bith are children from the ages of of one to eleven. Young adults from twelve to fifteen. Adults from sixteen to fifty. Middle-aged from 51 to 70, old from 71 to 85, and venerable from 85 onwards. So they could live past 85? They could. Um, I think the venerable is basically like, hey, if you're older than this, then how the fuck are you still alive? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But they have similar lifespans to humans, basically. But. With the, with the they just become adults earlier. Yeah, not as early as a chiz, which is like 10, but yeah. yeah, pretty earlier than usual. Yeah, like 16 in our society is still a child. Oh yeah, and they would be in like high school or middle school by then. Um, high school is 16. Yeah. Um, <laughs> their large eyes are capable of picking up a large range of wavelengths and sounds in the same way other races can sense colors. So they, they they see colors. Yep. They literally see colors. I can see all the colors. <laughs> and they I are smell them. <laughs> yeah. And they are so acute that they could pick up microscopic details of nearby objects. Holy shit. But due to this acuity, they are nearsighted. Ooh. So they probably need glasses to help them and everything. That's I I'm nearsighted, yep. so it's like I'm holding my hand a half an inch away from my face, and yep. I can still see it clearly. That's how nearsighted I am. Yeah. <laughs> Though due to their incredible senses, they have the unfortunate side effect of having sensitive ears, with loud sounds causing them a great deal of pain. Hey, that sounds like me too. Yeah, um, it's been a while since we watched any of the uh, Friday the Fir- not Friday the 13th, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movies. But do you remember that uh, one scene where there was his deaf kid? And, oh yeah, Carlos. Yeah, and a, and a Freddy Krueger pierced his ear so he could actually hear to amplify the sound, and then yep. he scratched his glove on a chalkboard. That's basically what it's like for a Biff. <laughs> I would imagine. Decent um, movie, by the way. Yeah, it, it's a it was a okay movie for the later movies that got schlockier. It's okay. Yeah, fair enough. It's um, Freddy's dead. That's <laughs> that one. Yeah, yeah. I gotta get around to uh, rewatching the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movies one of these days. First one is the greatest. Oh, uh, absolutely. First one is always the greatest. Um, for any horror movie, anyway. Um, where was I? Uh, and there are, it is also believed that due to their sensitive hearing, sonic weapons can cause their heads to explode. Ooh. However, that fortunately is a myth. Okay, good. It would probably be extremely painful, but it wouldn't explode them like a tick. That's that's good. <laughs> It would be a very gory scene mm-hmm. to uh, witness, yeah. 
<laughs> but yeah, um, Biff also have high manual dexterity, which gives them a better advantage in manipulating fine tools. Volver prowess with gross motor skills has is only average. Okay, so they have better fine motor skills over gross motor skills. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. They, I would imagine. Yeah, obviously they're great at engineering and everything, but I would I could foresee a Biff being a great surgeon. Oh yeah, they're really good with their hands. That's why they're so good at playing instruments. Yeah, yeah. You gotta have uh, flexible fingers to go through all those notes and everything. And they probably have good calluses on their fingers. Yeah, I should know this because the only reason I played trumpet in high school is because it had free notes on it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, good, good for the Biff anyway. Um, da, da, da. okay. And ironically enough, much like elves. Biff have evolved past the need to sleep, unlike other races. Holy shit. Instead, they engage in light meditative uh, trances. Just like elves. Yep, pretty much. In D&D. Which allows them to rest within four hours. That's just like a trance in D&D. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they just home in place. I would love to do that. That way I wouldn't actually have to sleep. <laughs> Sleep, what's that? <laughs> exactly, sleep is for the week. For all college students, we're all like, sleep, what's that? <laughs> or young working adults. <laughs> you know, that's also fair. Um, even in this trance, Biff are still almost fully aware of their surroundings. Almost, you know, like D&D elves and everything. Mm-hmm. Though one of the more unique and arguably disturbing aspects of a Biff is that their reproductive organs had atrophied over time, as did the... Pro- Portions of their brain that produced those pleasures. Hmm. So, uh, go on. <laughs> so basically, they don't have a dong down there. <laughs> no. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> yeah, they're all like. Sex? What's that? They're as anatomically <laughs> correct as candles. <laughs> Pretty much. Oh, God. <laughs> Through this, the Biff could not reproduce naturally, and instead relied upon a artificial conceptual and gestation chamber. Okay, so outward fetuses. Yep. Um, those oh. sends the Biff lacked any sense of pleasure from intimate relationships, they would depend on a program called the Computer Mating Service to help assign them to their prospective mate that would generate the favorite child pattern by taking and matching the DNA of both partners to conceive a new child within a year. Yay, eugenics! Yay, eugenics! <laughs> Good God. Yeah, it's, it's just that general aspect where the... Uh, Obviously, it doesn't go into detail of how they, you know, lost that down there. But um, it's just the idea that they're in such a utopian-esque society that they don't feel the need to engage in pleasures that would distract them. That honestly sounds like the plot of Gattaca. Yeah. But it's more, you know, have sex but choose your child's genes. Yeah. Make them the best person they can be. Holy shit. (laughs) And the Biff have two known subspecies, which are called the Yibif and the Aligar. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the Yibif later, but the Aligar, um, we know almost nothing about them. Um, they lived on the isolated islands in the oceans of Clackdor 7. 
and are known only for their unique form of communication that involved tying knots of string to convey elaborate symbiology. Interesting. So basically, they like keep a record of their literal string of ancestry through this string language. Huh. And it eventually evolved into much more com- complex patterns, like literally a sentence of that user. That's interesting, but that's so confusing on how that would work. You'd run out of knots. Well, I mean, that's true, but a lot of ancient cultures have engaged in that practice, like the Inca. Yeah, true. Which I think is really fascinating. It's kind of like how the Twi'lek do the Calicori. Yeah, I was about to bring that up. It's like the Calicori, where Mm -hmm. you add upon it and tell about your family's history and all that. That's cool. Yeah, it is pretty cool. Um... And then uh, the Bif language, otherwise known as Bifian, is described as having a symbolic and numerical structure. But eventually it's separated from the numerical aspects and would be used as a coded communication among other Bif or even among agents of a rebel alliance later. Hmm. So imagine it almost like, uh, what was it? Uh, oh, fuck. Um... Why you? Why is it? It's at the very tip of my tongue. Uh, Morse code. That's what it's called. It's oh. almost. Think of it almost like Morse code. Their language. Okay. I I. I remember trying that. Yeah. <laughs> trying to do that uh, at a, like a science fair or something. Nah. <laughs> fair enough. But uh, I think I read a great video. Read a great video. I watched a great video about the Biff, where their language is almost symbolic, almost like a thief's cant. Oh, okay. Almost like Thief's Cant, because as uh, I think Jake said, that Thief's Cant is basically normal speech, but it's, it's disguised. Yeah, as exactly. It's normal talking, but just so you don't look suspicious. Pretty much. Like, I think one example I remember from the lore master of what the Biff language would be and why it's such a good coded communication among the Rebel Alliance. Um, for example, if a Rebel agent goes to a uh, Biff and ask where their uh, partner is, the guy will be like, oh, he's a little bit under the weather. Um, it could be decoded to, um, he's right near a statue of a weather god at nighttime. Hmm. That sort of thing. It's just this coded language and everything. Okay. Kind of complex to think about, but it's really smart. Yeah, it's a very good idea. Yeah. Um... The Biff are known, we'll go a little bit in their history. Um, the Biff are known as one of the galaxy's most ancient civilizations, where their technological prowess gained the respect of the Grieve themselves. Wow. As you as you recall in some episodes previously, the Gree are like the most ancient race in all of Star Wars. They even pre- Aside from the Rakata. Yeah, they actually predate the Rakata. Wow. And the and, Gree are mentioned every so often in uh Swator. Yeah. Like I think there's they're like a weird. <laughs> they're weird, but um I think there's like a important side storyline on Coruscant where you have to talk to one of their droid representatives because a lot of the uh machines on Coruscant was made by Vagree. Yeah, they don't speak normal they don't speak normally. Yeah. They speak in like yellow parallel, purple parallel. Yep. Something rhombus. It, it's weird. It is very weird. But it makes sense to them. It makes sense to them and you know, um, they're also kind of a uh, pompous douchebags because, oh, we're the most <laughs> ancient race in the galaxy. We're the wise men who have explored the stars. You guys are just basically cavemen with sticks and everything. Assholes. But, yeah, yeah, they're kind of like the Chiss, but 
but and, assholes. Yeah, but assholes. Even bigger assholes compared to the chest anyway. Um, but when you gain the respect of those kinds of people, you know you're good with technology. Yeah. That's well, pretty cool. It is pretty cool. Um, eventually, the Clactor 7 would be discovered by the Republic at around 5,500 years before the Battle of Yavin mm -hmm. via the Rima trade route. And its sector of space over the millennia would be under the control of numerous uh, Sith factions, including the Brotherhood of Darkness, which is the, the faction that Darth Bane was a part of before he, you know, killed all of them. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Clagdor 7 would remain as a steadfast ally of the Republic, gaining a seat within the Galactic Senate following the extinction of the Sith, quote-unquote. Quote-unquote. Um... This is where uh, it gets a little bit more interesting for the Biff in their mm -hmm. history. At around 300 years before the Battle of Yavin, the Biff city-states of Nazol and Wilgar uh, engaged in a competition of who will be getting the patent rights to create a new innovative hyperdrive that would be sold to other planets within the Republic. Nice. Which is a pretty huge deal because... If you recall from our previous episode, <laughs> go watch that episode. <laughs> um, having uh, your own hyperdrive is super duper important. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I haven't watched the movie myself, but you you recall that movie uh, Ford versus Ferrari. I haven't watched the movie myself, but I heard it's pretty good. Ford versus Chevy is actually a video game. Oh, yeah. <laughs> weird concept for a video game. Yeah. Um... As is Biff tradition, both cities submitted a patent claim to a neutral arbitrator. You know, standard uh, competition stuff, everything mm -hmm. like that. Um, though one the agent representing Nazel found unsavory info on the arbitrator, they basically blackmailed him into picking them instead. Ooh, so the Biff can use... They're smart. Yeah. They can um, use blackmail. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just picturing, like... I mean, in real life, it's probably something like, oh, he did something... A corrupt political deal or some of that. In my head, I'm just thinking, oh, what we got here in your search history. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't don't look for my search history. What is Ah oh! <laughs> uh, There was this uh Five Nights at Freddy's meme that I remember watching a while ago where uh Springtrap is all like, let me look through your let me look through your search history, Greg. And he's like, what the fuck? <laughs> it just, the search history memes are always funny. <laughs> they are always a laugh, man. Um, however, um, the so, you know, the arbitrator was blackmailed into picking the, the, the city-state of Nazo. However, the mayor of their rivals, Walgar, had received intelligence of a blackmail and didn't see the decision as legitimate and continued production of their own hyperdrive. Mm-hmm. So, um, in response to this, Nazo also started their own hyperdrive. Of course, it just, we gotta be better! We gotta be better. And eventually, this little rivalry kept going on and on, where they try upping the other. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, we're doing this faster. We're almost at a deadline. Well, typical well, rivalry. Yeah, typical rivalry. Um, and it will eventually be stuff like cutting corners, uh, you know... A, uh, 
do political corruption, to slow down the other, you know, supply... Uh, sabotage. <laughs> sabotaging, yada, yada, yada. that sort of thing. However, after a year of this tense little rivalry and a standoff, um, let's just say shit escalated. <laughs> <laughs> so, um... That escalated quickly. It escalated quickly, and you'll see why. Um... After the full standard year of neither city-state being able to trump over the other, uh, Nuzzle decided to unleash chemical weapons on their rival. Oh! And this... Yay, war crimes! <laughs> and this resulted in uh, this chemical bombing of their city-state rivals. Oh, God. Kill it, this chemical attack killed up to 90% of the city's population. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Wheelgar, wanting to take revenge against their rivals, also unleashed their own bioweapons against them. Yay! And they did it. I It doesn't exactly go into detail, obviously, but it went into detail that they unleashed their own bioweapons, and on top of that, several nuclear weapons, too. Yeah, that went from zero to a hundred real yeah, fast. Yeah, pretty much. Um, And with this little civil war... Not only were they able to completely destroy their rivals, the Nazzle, but it also completely fucked up the ecosystem of their world. Well, no shit. Yep. Using fucking nuclear weapons. And, it, yeah, it transformed the, sw the swamps and forests of their homeworld into a poisoned and mutated wasteland. Their own fault. Excuse me. <laughs> their planet... Now forever changed. The Biff were forced to retreat into sealed cities and depended on Im imported goods and machinery to keep their society functioning. Sucks. They gotta face the consequences of your actions. Yeah. Um, they basically got the Mandalore treatment. Yeah. <laughs> or the Rataki treatment. Yeah. Um, in the aftermath of his devastating civil war, a new subspecies of Biff was created from the surviving inhabitants of Nozo, the city that started this shit to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, and these guys would be called the Yibif, or more commonly, the Ghost Biff. Okay. And I'll actually send pictures of these guys too. These guys are like horribly mutated monsters. Like, you know those standard sci-fi movies where they show mutated humanoids and everything? Yeah. That's basically the Biff version of these guys. Ooh. <laughs> That's creepy. Yeah, um, they it's have... It's like the thing from the Black Lagoon, the creature from the yeah. Black Lagoon, but blow his head up. Yeah, it like looks... He, <laughs> he got a lot of air to the head. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the Yibif would have such a genetic... Such genetic irregularities that they would have poorer eyesight and senses than regular Biff. But they had a higher strength and higher aggression. Nice. Yeah, um, the Yibif were looked down upon by their brethren, not only for their the actions of their ancestors, but also for their appearance, something shared by much of a galaxy. Eventually, the Yibif would leave the ruins of Nozzle and Clactor 7 entirely, settling on a different planet called Clactor 4, mm -hmm. where they would eventually build New Nozzle, which became a prominent trade hub. Though, despite their differences, the Yibif grew this sense of shame of what they have done to their ancestors' culture and basically nuking their world back to the Stone Age and everything. Oof. Um, 
and of Forvat. They they have this huge sense of shame and penance. Like their entire culture is basically directed towards gaining acceptance from their pure cousins Mm -hmm. because they wanted to uh you know redeem themselves like yes i'm sorry that our ancestors obliterated our shared culture but i want to prove myself to you i want to prove that we could rebuild and reunite our races together that Mm -hmm. sort of thing um however while the biff tolerated their mutated cousins at best, they didn't openly accept them, citing the volatile bi- biochemistry of the Yibif as a reason for their apprehension. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people like to say that they don't like their cousins because of the shit that they did to their home planet. It kind of sounds like the Duros and the, the Nemodians. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly like that. Except that the Nemodians actually wanted acceptance from their cousins. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just a little bit of a tragic history for the Biff right yeah. off the bat. Um, after that violent civil war, the culture of Biff of a Biff would change forever. With many off-world Biff experiencing losing a home without it physically being gone. That sucks. Yeah. Um, this inspired the entire grief-stricken race to embrace pacifism with many members using their civil war as a cautionary tale of, on the futility of violence. Makes sense. Like, uh... Like, I could see that's what Satine was trying to do. Yeah, pretty much. Um, like many Biff senators, they would always oppose military action. Like, they would basically move in a bill where they want everybody to be disarmed of all weapons and everything like that because they don't want any other race to go through what they did in the past. Mm -hmm. Like these little squabbles between cities, between factions and their fucked up home world from a result of misusing technology. They don't want that to happen to the rest of the galaxy. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, um, like, the reason why they went through a state of pacifism is not because, well, you know, it's part of their culture. It's because they are, I wouldn't say literally, but figuratively tired of war. Okay. So, for a race that really can't get tired, yeah, they get tired of war really, really well. Mm-hmm. And this inspired them to pursue other things that, you know, don't engage in war and everything. And Biff, ironically enough, they are a race that don't engage in the arts or musicians or anything like that. But in the aftermath of this civil war and pursuing a life of pacifism, many Biff would become musicians because it is a great distraction from the shithole that is their homeworld. Yeah. So that's why they're always at cantinas. Yeah. Um, they do not have... This is one thing I absolutely love about the Biff. Because each race has their thing. Mm-hmm. Like, each hut is a gangster. Um, each Nemodian is greedy. Each Zeltron's a slut. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, for the Biff, they are insanely smart engineers. That's cool. Um, and yes, they do do a lot of engineering shit. But they're more famous for being musicians. That's cool. And they're not specifically gifted in the, in the musical arts, but 
they are still remembered as musicians. Yeah, they, they're they very dexterous with their fingers, so of course they can play instruments well. Which I uh, absolutely love, and it goes against uh, the usual stereotype of many Star Wars races. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it is pretty cool. Um, even in their homeworld of Clactor 7, the Biff have what is called the Perghom Musical Performance Hall in their capital of Wogar, and I'll quickly send that to you too. Um... Basically, you remember the uh, the uh, concert hall on Coruscant in Episode Three? Oh yeah, the the Opera House. Pretty much. Um, that's basically the Biff's version of the Opera House. Like any, a lot of Biff like to go there and do performing of the arts or and anything like that. But they allow off-worlders to come in. Um, no strand of music is off limits for them. Like they enjoy all sorts of musical instruments. That's cool. And. You know how, like, in the real world, we have, uh, what was it, Mongolian of uh, throat, throat sing- singing? F- throat singing? They would absolutely love that shit. I, I have a song that I need to show you that is Mongolian. Yeah. Basically Mongolian throat singing. Yeah, I'll, yeah I would love cool. to listen to that sometime. But yeah, I just sent the picture. Like, there's, as you can see in that image, um, there's two Biff and a Gamorian singer. I was gonna singer. say, that's... <laughs> Oh, God, female Gamorians do have boobs. <laughs> you learn something new every day. <laughs> That's so cool, though. It is pretty it cool. It almost reminds me of the diva from The Fifth Element. Yeah. That whole setting. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're absolutely right, yeah. Best fucking scene of a movie ever. I remember, I vaguely remember watching that as a kid. I need to watch uh, Fifth Element again. Watch it again. <laughs> it's so good. Such a good movie. Yeah, it is so good. Um, Let me see. Though despite their new approach with pacifism, their tragedy would constantly fall upon deaf ears to many corrupt senators within the Republic. Mm -hmm. To the point that the Biff grew disillusioned with the Republic, especially when they ignored their pleas for financial support for centuries. Of course. Fucking Republic. When the separatist crisis happened, uh, the Confederacy promised the Biff that they could provide the needed supplies and aid to their people. And... Which caused Clactor 7 to secede from the Republic and join the Separatists? Did it turn out good for them? Well, um, kind of, kind of, but here's a uh, quote hey, between... At least Count Dooku didn't fuck over their planet. At least, at least, um, didn't, <laughs> didn't exactly do great for them when the uh, Empire came along, though. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could understand their reasonings. Mm-hmm. As you remember from the uh, Confederacy episode. But anyway, so here's a nice little quote between Anakin and a member of the Biff race when he was interrogating them. Mm-hmm. You're on the wrong... Yeah. You're on the wrong side of this war, your entire species. Clactor 7 had little choice. The Separatists were offering unrestricted access to hyperspace routes. Better deals on trade goods. No interference. Fair. Yep. Very fair. <laughs> While the Biff provided no military aid to the Separatists, um, they were heavily persecuted by the Empire. Of course, because they're aliens. Yep. Though they did not resist the rule of the Empire. Instead, offering their technological expertise at the service of the Imperial War Machine. Nice. Um, though as time went on, the Biff 
were horrified by the Empire, and despite their experiences with the horrors of war and pacifist nature, they reluctantly sided with the Rebel Alliance. Mm-hmm. Um, though they were once again reminded of what terrible cost of war came with through the destruction of Alderaan. Oof. Yep. I mean... Yeah, I could kind of get that, but at least they still have their planet. Yeah, they still have their planet. Alderaan got fucked. (laughs) Yeah, it's just a bunch of asteroids in space now. (laughs) Many Bith agents would use their race's reputation as musicians and go undercover within bands while utilizing musical instruments called digital flutes that would conceal recording equipment. That's smart. It is so cool, yeah. That's a good idea. I would love to... I would love to hear a story of one of these undercover agents does, you know, classic mariachi stuff and everything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Being a species of pacifists, the Biff worked alongside the galaxy as engineers, either as data analysts or in other intellectual professions. Most Biff use their intelligence and natural dexterity to work in the criminal underworld, while others commonly work as cantina staff. Uh, given that bartenders in Biff society held a position that is the equivalent in many ways to priests in other cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, Biff have an average number of force users among their race, you know, like humans and everything mm-hmm. like that. And, but they do have a long-standing tradition of sending their force-sensitive members to join the Jedi. With many members mostly serving as Jedi consulars, who That's are the cool. ones that, you know, uh, study the force and everything. You never see one, though. I, I haven't seen one yet. No. Nah. Probably not in Swator, but who knows. Um, there are notable members of a Biff race, such as... Uh, I am not. I don't have any pictures for most of these guys. Uh, there's Biff Hibis, the Mystifier, who is a Biff stage magician who became famous across the galaxy for his performances at the Hologram Fun World's Asteroid Theater. Cool. So, yeah, um, I... I'm not sure what uh, tricks he does as a stage magician, but I gotta imagine they are pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Another is Farquo Benet, a female Biff who worked as an assistant to Umbra the Hutt, who is described as having a much kinder disposition than most Huts, but she still didn't have a uh, high opinion of her employer. Mm. Um, there is uh, Mr. Teslian. A Biff who is a Rebel Alliance agent working undercover as an art dealer who frequented many art galleries with his main job uh, liberating cultural art pieces that the Empire stole, basically. That's cool. And either A, bringing them back to the world that they were stolen from, or B, selling it on the black market. Oh. The first one was to get diplomatic, uh, more diplomatic, diplomatic uh, aid from that planet because oh you got you returned our most valuable art piece we're going to be your buddies oh yeah or for the black market just get more funds for the rebel alliance to use um and then uh there is harry and angry who is a female biff starfighter pilot who flew for the new republic and has her own personal x-wing and she became a member of rogue squadron it's I know Rogue Squadron doesn't mean much to you, but it's basically the uh, the uh, Red Barons of Rebel Alliance and oh, later the okay. New Republic. Uh, okay. It's the one that uh, Wedge Antilles uh, leads. Cool. 
So let me uh, send a picture of her. She she looks pretty cool. She has she's basically a Biff with glasses. Goggles. More goggles. Like. Yeah. Um. The reason why she has those goggles is because well she's nearsighted. She needs those. Yeah. Especially if you're flying a fucking X-wing. Yeah. Exactly. You can't be nearsighted. Yeah. Unfortunately though, she doesn't last too long. Uh, she went on one mission and she was crippled and had to be grounded for a little while. Oof. But there was an important attack and she basically stole one of her companion's X-Wing fighters and she sacrificed herself by ramming the X-Wing into a Sith temple that was causing trouble. Oh, shit. So, well. good on you. <laughs> <laughs> good on you. Um, And then uh, there's a major member. Um. Genyar, who is a renowned Biff painter, poet, and sculptor, who has been through the final years of a republic working for the government as a propagandist. Mm -hmm. Um, Through his work, he supported its soldiers and believed in the words of Palpatine and the disownment of the evil of Count Dooku and the Separatists. Good on him. Um, Unfortunately, though, I could imagine, like, even... I know it doesn't go much into his story, but I imagine he isn't exactly looked upon favorably upon his people. Probably not. Because, you know, they joined the Separatists and everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, and even after Palpatine became emperor, he remained loyal to the Empire. Because in his mind, he does believe that, the em- that uh, a singular person is the only way that could ensure... A galaxy will be led into economic prosperity and security throughout the galaxy and everything. Hmm. But as time went on, he saw the Empire for what it is. Good. And eventually, um, he protested with his own paintings and everything. Cool. Like he made several statues. Uh, his painting was actually what inspired Sabine Wren. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, like uh, there's an episode of of uh, Rebels where Lando Calrissian is at the ghost. And he's like, oh, that's a very nice graffiti style. It reminds me of so-and-so. And Sabine Wren basically confirmed, yeah, it was inspired by so-and-so. I still need to watch Rebels. <laughs> even though I really don't want to because I'm going to criticize it the whole time. I'm sure you will. Um, season one, it's a little bit child-friendly in the beginning, but it gets really good near the end of the Hell, season. I remember it was on Disney XD, and that yep. was aimed towards kids. <laughs> you know, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, and then eventually, because of his, uh, of, <laughs> you know, his anti-Empire art pieces, he mm-hmm. was obviously exiled by the Empire. Well, yeah. And I'm surprised it, he wasn't killed. Well, he was exiled, so light sentence for him, actually. Um, eventually, he would be approached by the New Republic as a propagandist, you know, getting his old job. And eventually, um, he would lead an effort to explain the true state of the Empire. Though, it, even though it was meant to counter lies being circulated by the Imperial propaganda, he was ultimately forced to create the, his own lies of a New Republic. Like, <laughs> we always like to joke that uh, the the characters in Rebels weren't exactly innocent. Because, you know... <laughs> not Chopper. Not least. Chopper. <laughs> but yeah, that's like a, 
a majority of what the new Rebel Alliance is because, oh, they're terrorists. They blew up the Death Star, killing a lot of innocent people, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Um, as a propagandist, yeah, you got to do a lot of lying to get your point across and everything. Mm-hmm. But even though he's spreading all these lies and disowning the Empire, he is hoping one day that in order to balance out these lies, one good truth would come out of the New Republic. Did it? Eventually it did, yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> so that's that guy. Um, amongst the Jedi, there is Arwen. I'm, I'm going to try and pronounce his name. Um, Anna, Anna Oro, a Jedi Knight who served during the Cold War, which is the, the main event of Swator and everything. Yeah. Um, and was one that found out about Dark Jedi Kaliath, who is the, uh, the uh, Nautilin from, from uh, the Jedi Knight story. Oh, right. He was the one that instigated the uh, the Flesh Raiders to fight against the Jedi and everything. That's how much I cared about the Jedi Knight story. <laughs> so Couldn't yeah, remember that. So yeah, he was just a Biff Padawan that helped out with the hero of Typhon and, you know, dealing with that crisis. He eventually became a Jedi Knight. And I believe by the time of the Eternal Empire, he became a Jedi Master. I still have yet to play, <laughs> to play the expansions on my night. I'm playing through on my console. Uh, next, however, we got arguably the most famous of Biff, Darth Tenebris. Oh, Plagueis' master. Yep. Okay, I've, I've learned a little bit about him. Not much. Yeah, um, just to send a picture of him to you, if you haven't <laughs> seen his canonical picture already. There's the picture. Oh my god. Yep. Even with the mask, his face looks ugly. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so like what? Where it, Vader got his inspiration for his armor. Yeah. Um, so what do you exactly know about Darth Tenebris? Only that he was Plagueis' master. Okay, fair enough. Nothing else? That is all. Okay, fair enough. Um, so this, <laughs> obviously we gotta one day talk about uh, the Darth Plagueis novel because that goes much more into detail and I don't want to spoil everything while we're talking about the Biff and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Darth Tenebris is the master of Darth Plagueis. Um, he was a scientific mastermind that possessed the... Sh- that was obsessed with shaping the future. Not through the Force, but through Biff's science. Essentially making the Force obsolete. Oh, wow. So essentially his idea is like, if everybody depends on machines for their everyday living, much like my race did with a computer mating service, we will have no need for the Force anymore. So he was kind of like Kreia. Yeah. In, in like... He doesn't want to need the Force. She wants to destroy the Force completely. Pretty much, yeah. Okay. So but, same, uh, same kind of inspiration and goal. Pretty much. Um, He is also a legendary artisanal starfighter designer. And I think he was the one that uh, designed Darth, Mar- uh, Darth Maul's personal fighter of a scimitar. Nice. Yeah. That's a pretty cool ship. It is a pretty cool ship. So freaking good. Um... The, let me see if I could, uh, yeah, the point is, Tev, Darth Tenebris, he's an uber-important character, um, trained to Darth Plagueis in the way of the Force and the Sith and all that, the grand plan and He doesn't sound more like a Sith, though. Yeah. He sounds, like, more neutral. A little bit neutral. Since, you know, he doesn't want to have to rely on the Force. 
I think it's just his, like, a, he's a very logical person and everything. Like, a lot of Biff are very logical. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's his way of giving the middle finger to the Force so that they could actually make the Jedi Order themselves obsolete. Oh, but look what Plagueis did. <laughs> yeah. He basically said, fuck you, I'm doing my own thing. Yeah, I'm going to pursue the arts of Metachlorians and everything like that. Um, but yeah, um, Darth Tenebris, even though he appears... Oh yeah, um, Darth Tenebris actually uh, made Darth Plagueis through eugenics. Really? Yeah, he was the one that pushed uh, Darth Plagueis's, uh father and mother together. Damn, so he w- he was old. Yep. Damn. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's like, I will breed my perfect apprentice. I will bring my perfect apprentice through Biff's science. Okay. This woman, she's gifted in the force. This guy, he's a banker, so that'll be fine. Together. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I'll go more into depth when we eventually talk about the Darth Plagueis novel. Take a shot. <laughs> Take a shot. It's on, go on the list. But yeah, um, that aside, let us talk a little bit about... Uh, Biff bands. Uh-huh. So, obviously, Biff are famous across the galaxy for their musicians. Um, If you ever see a band in Star Wars, a good amount of them are just pure, purely Biff. Mm-hmm. But a couple of them at least have one Biff member in them. Yeah. Um, like the one in the cantina and the New Hope and everything. Mm-hmm. Those guys are called Fergienda. Um... Uh, Thigrin Dan and the Model Nodes. That's the the, bland, the band that plays the cantina music in A New Hope. Nice. And that cantina music in Universe is called Mad About Me. Interesting. So yeah, that entire... Even though the rest of the, the fandom just calls it the cantina music. Pretty much, yeah. In Universe it's called Mad About Me. God, that that music is so nostalgic whenever I played the original Lego games. I mean, hell, on the original album, or, you know, when you look at the song, it's Cantina Band. Yeah. That is what it's called. Um, And each member have their own unique story and everything, their own personality quirks, but I won't go into that Mm. for now. Um, As a general rule for the band... Uh, they would absolutely refuse to perform at weddings, as the leader of the band believed it would cheapen them. Really? Yep. That's... Nothing's wrong with playing at a wedding. The one exception they made uh, during a wedding of the infamous crime lord, Lady Valoran, it would end in disaster. Oh. And that pretty much enforced their, uh, <laughs> their one rule, like... This exception we made, it ended in absolute disaster. Let us not do that again. Fair enough. Yeah, there's actually a picture of that incident in the, the chat. That'll be the last one, I promise. Oh, it looks like it. It looks like the Red Wedding. Yeah. You're like, oh, crap! <laughs> <laughs> what did I tell you about accepting this job? <laughs> anyway. Anyway, um, yeah. And another one is... Uh, a band um, called the Dewback Ramblers. Dewback Ramblers, interesting. Yeah. Um, and the Biffs, they, if you see any picture of a Biff with any kind of instrument, they're usually holding this saxophone looking instrument. It's called a clue horn. 
Um, they like every single band I look came across. There is a Biff playing a clue horn. Mm-hmm. Like for example, they there's one That's in the max. That's an emote you can play on Swator. Yeah. Um, there is one Biff in the Max Rebo band, which is the band that uh, played for Jabba in uh, Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. And uh, most of these other bands, uh, I just found names for them, and they all exist in Swator. Um, there's a Biff in the Load Lifters. Uh, there's a couple Biff in the Paradise Planet. And the Twisted Rancor Trio. Mm-hmm. We gotta do uh, Star Wars bands one of these days, because... There is a good amount of them (laughs) on the list because I was going through it and there's literally a band called uh, the the Palpatoons. The (laughs) Palpatoons. Now I need to go to every cantina I can find on every planet and look at each band. Yeah. There's even one on Drome and Koss, which is just an all droid band. (laughs) (laughs) Well, of course. They don't like aliens. (laughs) But I do like the fact that even Droman Cause, you know, the literal capital of the Sith themselves, they just have a nice little band a just playing for band, them. Even, though, even if it's not Bith. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then... Oh yeah, there's another band um, called Boba Fett and the Assassin Droids. <laughs> That's cool. I think there's like a, uh, a little lore thing, I could be wrong, where Boba Fett actually sues them for the name. <laughs> <laughs> Like, no using my name without my permission. <laughs> yeah, and the, the main band um, that plays the cantina music, yes, that is Jizz, just it's, to yes, give you an idea. Jizz. <laughs> Jizz. J-I-Z-Z. Yes, Jizz. Look up in the Star Wars encyclopedia. You'll see that it's called Jizz. <laughs> but to clarify, it is music. It is not what you are thinking. Yeah, it's basically the... Yeah, it's basically the, the, the Star Wars version of jazz. Yes. And I do like to and think... And you can hear... That it takes elements from jazz. Oh yeah, just... Dur, 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 dur. But yeah, that's basically all I have on the Biv. What do you think? Hey, I learned something about a very obscure race. So, yeah. that's cool. I do like the tragedy behind them. Like, they are uber smart scientists. Obviously, they have like a near utopian society where they want to unite. Uh, they have a little bit of a supremacy complex because, you know, they're mutated cousins. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't like them that much because of what they did to their people in the past. Yeah. Um, But they do have a good amount of tragedy to them as well. Mm -hmm. Like, the very reason why they became famous as musicians is because they want to forget about their uh, warmongering past and everything. Hey, at least it led into something positive for the race. Yeah, pretty much. Um, Yeah, I always always appreciate races that uh, don't have a particular hat to them. That they just adopt another skill, and that's what they're most famous for. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, so yeah, that's that's our episode of Can Mayonnaise Kill a Jedi? Or in this case, how many times will I mention jizz? <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to say that uh, movie I was talking about with Antonio Banderas yeah. was called Desperado. Oh yeah, Desperado. Such a good movie. It is so good. I want to watch that uh, again one of these days. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um... You have any lingering thoughts, Hannah? Nope, not really. All right. You want to know what our next episode's going to be about? Please tell me. So, um, it's been nice uh, talking about the Biff, but since we mentioned hyperspace a little while ago, we will be exploring one of the many innovators of said hyperspace. We will be talking about Corellia.
Oh, cool. You have a planet of Corellia, the home world of Han Solo. Yeah, Corellia is a good planet to cover. It is a really good uh, and a lot more lore than the previous ones. (laughs) very lore heavy. Oh, boy. I mean, just since Wator alone... And that's just one part of the media. <laughs> yeah, with a green Jedi and everything. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, um, I you hope... You have fun with that research. Oh, thank you, Hannah. Yeah, I'm always <laughs> the one who has to put this on my shoulders, but yeah, it's whatever. Um, but yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this little episode. Um, appreciate if you leave a comment and a like and all of that. Um, wish your parents... Your fathers. Your father... Uh, happy Father's Day, even if it's a little bit late when this video gets uploaded. Just show them that you appreciate them and everything. Um, otherwise, hope you guys are having a wonderful rest of your day, and may you live long and prosper. This is the way. This is the way. Bye-bye. Bye.